thank you for who you are. Overwhelming, endless, absolute love. And we pray, Lord God, this morning that through the work of Jesus the Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit, we would see you, that you would help us to preach. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Ever since we stopped getting the paper, it's become kind of like my morning habit to go downstairs first thing in the morning, make some coffee, grab a protein bar, and watch the CBS Morning News, which always starts like this. But we begin this morning with a look at today's eye-opener, Your World in 90 Seconds. This remark smacks of blatant racism. The president's comments damaged us greatly. It's offensive. I don't like it. Both sides blast the president's immigration comments. The president asked, why are we having all these people from whole countries come here? Referring to African countries and Haiti. This is how Trump relates to people. Is it a little offensive? Of course it is. Potentially dangerous storm is moving across the Midwest now and headed east. We want everyone to be prepared for the worst. It's a race against time to find the survivors of a deadly California mudslide. I lost completely everything. There's nothing left. James Franco was a no-show at the Critics' Choice Awards just hours after new sexual misconduct allegations surfaced. All that? These workers in Texas getting caught in a sandstorm that swept through their area. And all that matters. And this morning's eye-opener is presented by Toyota. Let's go places. The eye-opener, your world in 90 seconds. All that and all that matters. Let's go places, Toyota. And, and, and then I wonder, well, where are we going? And is that really all that, that matters? And if it is, what does it mean? <laughs> My world in 90 seconds. I watch the eye-opener, and then I have, like, my own eye-opener. I think about my kids. I think about my mom and the challenges they're facing. I think about you all and the problems that you have. I think about the sermon and my inability to figure out what the heck God wants me to say. That's, that's stressful. I think about all that, feel like an idiot. I, I think life is hard. This world is chaotic and filled with all kinds of pain. And then I wonder, what does it all mean? And then, can I quit? Can I just quit? In the summer of 1979, I got a job as a lifeguard at uh, the Green Oaks Community Pool in, in Littleton. I use the term lifeguard rather loosely because safety really wasn't my strong suit at the time. I was more into fun, and the diving board was a whole lot of fun. And uh, a lot of the kids at the pool wanted to share in the fun. They wanted to share my joy, so, so to speak. That year at Heritage High School in Mr. Brookhart's physics class, I, I had learned that momentum is transferable, which means that if a 200-pound, 18-year-old boy and a 50-pound, uh, 7-year-old kid time their steps uh, j just right, uh, jump at just the right point, uh, I can transfer a whole lot of momentum uh, to, to, that, to that boy uh, through the diving board. 
Momentum is mass times velocity. So, so that means if me and the seven-year-old jump together, but I quickly buckle my knees like this, my momentum can be transferred to that child in the form of a greatly enhanced velocity. In other words, I could launch a seven-year-old literally 20, 30 feet in the air and into the shallow end of the pool where they would land usually in some form of belly flop, back flop, or side flop in a, in a very big way. It was a lot of chaos and pain. And then they would surface with this stunned look on their face. Eyes wide open. Eyes wide open, and then they would spin, and they would search for me, eyes locking on me, begging for an explanation. What I learned was that at that moment, I had incredible power. If I looked away in disgust or, or, or closed my eyes in distress, if I panicked in fear, if I screamed, oh my gosh, are you okay? I'm so sorry I didn't mean to bounce you so high. Well, they look at me for a second, and then all at once they just burst into huge sobs. Uh, they'd run home, tell their mother. I would get in a whole lot of trouble, and they'd quit. They'd quit coming to the pool. Sometimes, after the morning eye-opener, I just want to quit. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it means getting drunk. Maybe it means turning to porn, going shopping, having an affair, holding a grudge and refusing to forgive. Maybe suicide. I don't know exactly what quitting looks like for you. But I think for all of us, quitting is giving up on love. You know, all that God asks of us is, is love. It's the entire commandment. And, and love is like momentum. It's transferable. We love because he first loved us. And yet love does not feel safe. Learning to love is chaotic and painful. If you love with all the momentum of Jesus, you'll probably get crucified. But Jesus is a lifeguard. And not a bad one like, like me. The name Jesus literally means God is salvation. Well, like I was saying, at the moment that the kids surface, after experiencing all of my momentum and a bunch of chaos and pain, the moment they, they looked at me, I had incredible power. If I screamed, oh no, they'd weep and wail and quit. But if I stood tall, looked in their face and screamed, yeah! That was awesome! Man, you flew like Superman! That was incredible! Oh, 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 I know, I know, I know it stings, but dude, you were amazing. The confusion would all of a sudden turn into, like, laughter. They'd start to chuckle, and then they'd scream back at me, Do it again! Do it again! And then the other kids in the pool would say, Do me too! Do me too! Do me too! I was probably a bad lifeguard. But I think that I was a, a better f a father. And what I learned at the Greenhouse Community Pool was transferable to my children. When, when they were little, every time they experienced a little chaos or pain, they'd come running to me or to Susan, uh, screaming, kiss it, kiss it, kiss it, Daddy. 
Well, if we panicked at that moment, that they came weeping and wailing to us, and went, oh my gosh, well, it would just get, get worse, and, and they would uh, want to quit. But if we smiled and kissed whatever was hurt, if we blessed the pain, they would usually be like instantly healed. In fact, I remember this one day at church, the kids were running around the sanctuary. You know, it was after the service, I was talking to some folks, and one of them fell, and this complicated the issue because they fell on their bottom. But anyway, she came running to me screaming, kiss it, Daddy, kiss it, Daddy, kiss it. And, and uh, I, I remember I, I picked her up, hugged her, gave, gave her a kiss, and then uh, set her down, and she smiled, kissed me back, and immediately ran off as if everything was okay. And the person I was talking to said to me, wow, that was amazing. It's like she was healed by your kiss. And you see, maybe she was. John was on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. He had loved because Jesus first loved him, but now a lot of chaos and pain. All the other disciples were probably dead, tortured, and executed. John was in prison. Uh, the churches that he had pastored were facing all sorts of challenges. I'm sure that they were all tempted to quit. But in the Spirit, on the Lord's day, John turned and saw Jesus. Jesus dictates the seven letters. Each of them is an eye-opener. Jesus then says, John, I have something to show you. Come up here. Through a door opened in heaven, John sees what we began to preach on last week. He sees a throne, and around the throne, 24 elders who continually cast their crowns before the throne, which means the one on the throne is continuously crowning them. It's the great dance that is eternal life and the unbroken communion of love, and love is everything. Love is everything commanded of us. Love is what it means to conquer. 4 verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. They're worshiping him for he created all things, not some things, all things with his will which is his word then i saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and i saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it and i began weeping loudly literally mourning and wailing because no one was able uh, no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to to look into it john must have seen something like like this i made this for easter uh two years ago it's a scroll tied uh with seven strings covered with seven seven seals he sees this scroll with seven seals in the strong right hand of God. In that day, official documents were sealed with wax seals bearing uh, official imprints in the wax. And when they were opened, you could then discern the meaning of the scroll and the edict of this. The words of the scroll were then enacted. 
Some have speculated that the scroll is the last will and testament given to those who inherit the kingdom. Some speculate it's the Lamb's scroll or uh, the scroll or book of life. Some say it's the Bible or the rest of the Revelation. Maybe it's all of that and more. Everyone is singing uh, because of all creation, that the one on the throne uh, created all things, and the scroll is sealed with seven seals. God creates all things in seven days, or six days, and then the seventh is the day of rest, the Sabbath. Perhaps the scroll is creation. And John is weeping because nobody knows what it means. <laughs> Have you seen this, this picture? Take a good, good look at it. It uh, comes from NASA and can be found on their website explaining the WMAP, the Wilkinson Microwave Anastropy Probe. It's this probe that was launched in 2001 uh, to map all of the cosmos or universe. The probe has finished its work, and this is the result. So, so this is the best representation of the best scientists of the history and, history and, and shape of our, of our cosmos. So the long horizontal axis represents time, and the circles represent space. The point on the left is the beginning of space and time, and the inside of the giant burrito is all of space and time. Glenn said, hey, Peter, it kind of looks like a giant burrito. It's an incredible picture, for it's a picture of all nature, all space and time. It's incredible for a million different reasons. For one, it shows that everything natural is actually supernatural. All physical laws are descriptions of cause and effect in space and time. The picture reveals that all cause and effect is the effect of an uncaused cause. For thousands of years, philosophers have referred to the uncaused cause as God. This is a picture then, that picture is, is a picture of the creation of all things by something called God. Number two, what's outside the giant burrito, you remember the giant burrito, is not actually nothing. It's that uncaused cause that we call God. God is not nothing but the absolute something. Yet, you could say that he's nothing like all the created somethings. In other words, he's holy. Number three, this means that the Big Bang is not really an explosion of something in the nothing. But it's more like an explosion of nothing in the something. So think of like an empty space in God, kind of like a womb. But then into that nothing, God speaks his word or shines his light. Scripture says that God is light. And his word is the light of the world. God creates all things with his, his word, his logos, his meaning, his idea. So number four, God creates all things, but evil is really not a something, but a nothing. You know, like, like darkness is the absence of, of light. 
Like loneliness is the absence of love. Like lies are the absence of truth. Like I am not is the absence of I am. Like chaos is the absence of logos, which is God's word and God's will and God's judgment. So God's judgment is creation and final judgment. Final judgment is the finished creation. So number five, the finished creation is like, well, it's like a giant stuffed burrito. (laughs) Stuffed with all the fullness of God. In the creation story, in each of the six days, we read that there was evening and then there was morning. Even on day one, before there was a sun, there was evening and there was morning. Even a pre-scientific idiot knows that for a sunrise you kind of need some sun, right? Well, the Hebrew word for evening comes from a root meaning darkness and implying chaos, and the word for morning implies order that comes through light. So each day in the creation story, there is order spoken into chaos until on the seventh day, all is filled with the goodness that is God, is God himself. In Scripture, there are six days of creation. But Scripture says that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And in ancient times, thousand was often just the largest denomination in which people would count. So you can't find the word uh, million, for instance, in your Bible. If it's in English, they'll take a thousand times a thousand and call it million, but the word doesn't appear. So it's just like the biggest number that we know. Well, it was a common idea at the time of Jesus that God created in a Sabbath week of these incredible creation days. That is that he created in six eons, and in the seventh, everything would be good. Uh, So according to, to Scripture, this giant burrito could be divided into six complete eons and maybe a seventh. The English word eon comes from the Greek word ion, which means age. The ages inside the burrito are ions. Sometimes it's translated forever. So like in, and when scripture says sometimes forever, it's for ion or for age. The ages inside the burrito are ions and the age outside the burrito is an age unlike any of the ages inside of the burrito. Scripture describes that age as ionios, which is an adjective. It, it, it means something like of the age and it usually refers to God's age. Ionios is often translated eternal. God is eternal. Light is eternal. Love is eternal. So all of time looks something like this. Hopefully you recognize this picture because I've used it a lot and you can find these in my book about the history of uh, time and the genesis of you. But the, the seventh day, you'll notice, is a bit is a bit confusing. Scripture mentions no evening or morning on the seventh day. It's like the end that never ends. In Hebrew thought, that's oftentimes represented by uh, uh, the eighth day, an endless seventh day. Scripture claims that we have come to the end, listen closely to this, it says this in two places. We have come to the end of the ions, the end of the ages in Christ Jesus. He's the end. And at his cross, eternity invades time, all of time. At his cross, we inherit eternal life. So maybe time looks something like this. Or maybe it looks something more like this. 
all of time exists in eternity like, like a scroll in the right hand, in the right hand of God Almighty. About 20 years ago, physicist Gerald Schroeder asked this question. If the cosmos is measured to be 14 billion years old from the standpoint of Earth, how old would it be from the standpoint of the Big Bang due to what we know about relativity and things relative to the speed of light, all that kind of stuff? How old would it be relative in more specifics to quark confinement? In specific, the cosmic background radiation. That's the afterglow the afterglow light pattern on that, on that diagram. Well, he did the math and he came up with the answer. Six days. Six or maybe seven, depending on whether you're going with the 13 billion age or the 15 billion, billion age. So not your world in 90 seconds, but your world in seven days. Whether he got his physics right or not, all physicists, I think, would agree that depending on where you're standing, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. In fact, if you're traveling at the speed of light, there really is no time at all. And God is light. You see, I'm saying that this looks an awful lot like this, in fact, if you wrapped seven strings about it, sealed it with seven seals, it would look an awful lot like, like this. I'm saying that the cosmos is like a seven-sealed scroll in the strong right hand of God. Which raises a fascinating question. When and where is John standing in Revelation chapter 5? He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He was like outcarnated rather than incarnated. He sees 24 elders and four living creatures, and surely they were created in the cosmos. Jesus is the firstborn of all the cosmos, or Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That's what Scripture says, but it appears that there are others too, firstborn and latter born. And the gospel is not just that we go to heaven, but that heaven somehow comes to us. Well, you cannot understand all of that. Just doesn't fit in here. And yet scripture and science both can help you believe. And this is what I'm asking you to believe. He's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole cosmos. In his hands, he's got all of space and time. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's what John sees. And yet, he's weeping, wailing. Because the scroll is sealed and no one is found worthy to open its seals. In other words, no one could tell John what it all means. What does it mean? It's one thing to come to believe the God of the philosophers and physicists exists, but it's an entirely different thing to come to know who he is and what he means. 
It's one thing to know that someone or something created you and launched you into all this chaos and pain, but it's another thing to know what it means, what he means, just who it is that's standing on that throne. That proverbial diving board, so to speak. A sealed scroll is creation without meaning. Chaos and pain with no purpose. A story with no plot. Jesus is weeping for the same reason that Mary wept as she stood outside the tomb. All her hopes had been crucified. And now the body was missing and she had no idea what it all meant. John is weeping because his friends are being martyred in places like Smyrna and Rome. He's weeping because all the other disciples are dead. He's exiled on a rock alone in the Aegean Sea, and he does not know what any of it means. He's not weeping because he doesn't understand the Left Behind series. Or what's the beginning of the date of the Great Tribulation. He's weeping for he sees no purpose in life. And if there's no purpose, there's no conquering, there's no hope. He's weeping because he sees no logos and all is chaos. He's staring into the void, what we loosely call hell. In the words of Bertrand Russell before he died, I have nothing to hang on to but grim, unyielding despair. Despair is suffering without meaning, wrote Victor Frankl. All creation is that scroll. And you are part of that scroll. In fact, your life is like that scroll. Your life is a scroll. Because I'm a pastor, people often come to me and ask me to unwrap their scroll, to, 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 to give meaning uh, to their, their scroll. And I am completely unable. And not only unable, I'm unworthy. Several years ago, a woman came to me with hundreds of horrifying pictures stuck in her mind and her heart. Each picture was a memory, like a slice of that scroll or a slice of that space-time burrito, a moment in space and time. She'd been ritually abused, assaulted by demons. Since then, I've met other women and prayed for other women that have gone through this similar sort of thing in one of the pictures, she had been dressed as a little angel on Halloween. She explained that as a child, it had always been her dream to be an angel. And so this Halloween, her mom dressed her in this little white angel outfit with a little halo and little wings, and she was so happy. But then that night, Halloween night, her, her father came home, and he grew, he grew furious, furious at the angel outfit. He, he ripped it off of her, and he abused her in the most horrifying of ways. How do I speak meaning into such chaos and pain? I've never been abused. I'm not worthy. In prayer, she had a vision, and in the vision, as we were praying, I asked Jesus to just destroy that picture. You know, just to erase that slice of space and time, because I couldn't even begin to open that portion of the scroll. John weeps, for no one is found worthy to unwrap the scroll. Next verse. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Nikao is the verb, nikao. So he's conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, which was the beginning of the day that he was slain, John records that Jesus said this. In this world, the Greek word translated world is cosmos. In this cosmos, you will have, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have conquered. Nikao, I have conquered the cosmos. You see, the seven-sealed scroll, I think, really is all of creation and he conquered in that day that very day he conquered as he cried it is finished on the cross it's it's really breathtaking if you think about it for can you think of a greater tribulation or worse slice of space-time than that than the day that humanity took the life of the good in flesh on a tree in a garden can you think of a worse day And now can you think of a better day than the day God gave his own life on that tree in the garden? The day that we took the knowledge of the good has now been transformed into the day that Jesus gave us the knowledge of himself and he is life. 1373, Julian of Norwich had her famous encounter with Jesus, and she said that Jesus taught her this, and I quote, Since I, Jesus, have turned the greatest possible harm into good, it is my will that you should know from this that I shall turn all lesser evil into good. Jesus is the beginning and the end. We're going to read that. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He's the plot. Once you get to the end of a book, what do you know? You know the plot, and then the plot transforms every, the, the meaning of every page. It speaks meaning into every page of the book. Jesus is what God means. Jesus is worthy to unwrap the scroll because he has conquered. But what a strange and bizarre and holy way to conquer. The lion is a little slaughtered lamb. And the little slaughtered lamb is the lion. Chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders... I wonder who this was. Remember what we talked about last... I mean, this could have been Peter, James, John. Is the new John talking to the old John? One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between, or in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's y'all. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. 
And by your blood you ransomed, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth, or do reign on the earth, as some ancient manuscripts say. Whatever the case, John looks and he sees this Arneon. It's the, it's, it, it means a, like precious little lamb. It's a, the diminutive form. But, but this lamb, this little lamb has seven horns, which symbolize all power. And it has seven eyes, which symbolize all knowledge. And the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent into all creation. Everyone, everyone worships the lamb just as they worship God. John tells us that he is the logos, the word that was in the beginning, uh, with God, uh, that is God, and through whom all things are created. And John knows him. <laughs> because he knew John. He became flesh and went fishing with John. And loved John in such a way that John would lay his head upon his chest, upon his breast at the Last Supper as the lamb unwraps the scrolls, he smells your prayers. <laughs> I guess they're eternal. And maybe you are too. He is able to unwrap the scroll because he created the scroll. And he is worthy to unwrap the scroll because he bleeds for John. And he bleeds for you. Verse 9, they sing a new song. You know, in eternity, I think everything is, is always new. And in Hebrews, it says the sacrifice is constantly newly sacrificed. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. It's not just that he has all power and all knowledge, but that he sacrificed it all for you. He bled for you, and he bleeds for you every moment of your existence. You know, when my children were little, they would always run to me or Susan to kiss their owies, to give meaning to their chaos and their pain. If you would have lined me up next to Albert Einstein, who I understand knew a lot, Next to Donald Trump, who I understand has a lot of power, my kids would have picked me every time. Because they knew that I would bleed for them. And in some way, I already had. They, they knew because they'd been known. They didn't understand. They only had to believe in me. And then they would know and then live. I was worthy in a little way, in just a little way, to unwrap that part of their scroll. But years ago, this friend came to me and wanted me to unwrap her scroll. And I was entirely unable. And I, Peter Hyatt, was entirely unworthy. The pictures were so horrifying that not only would she get stuck, and she'd been stuck, not only would she get stuck, I would get stuck. Afraid to live. For fear that the pictures had no meaning that God was not the author of the scroll, and Jesus had not conquered all things. One night as we prayed, Jesus appeared to her in this vision. And I remember I spoke into the vision as she was having it, and I asked Jesus to hold her. And he would not. 
She wept. I remember her weeping, saying, I just want you to hold me. And then she heard him say this, you have to give me those pictures. She was utterly ashamed of the pictures, and I desperately wanted Jesus just to destroy the pictures, to erase the pictures. I prayed, Jesus, please show her how you see her. And she heard him say this, those pictures are part of who you are. I really wondered at that moment if it was Jesus that she was talking to, but we began to give him the pictures. It was, it was a, a battle because she'd have to choose to surrender, and yet each choice was a gift purchased with his blood. He had shown her that he cried her tears, that he felt her wounds, that everything that was done to her was in fact done to him, and he had sent his spirit into her heart crying, Abba, Father, And so she began to hand him each picture. And one after another, he'd reveal his presence in each picture. I mean, he'd fill each picture with himself. Where there was darkness, she would see a brilliant light. Where there were lies, he would transform the lies into truth with his very presence. Where there was death, she would see resurrection. And in the place of sin, in the place of sin, he would reveal his absolute beauty, his his grace. Each time he would take the picture, frame the picture, fill the picture, and hand it back to my friend. Each picture like a frame in a movie telling the most beautiful of all stories. The last picture was that Halloween night. Jesus entered it like a warrior. He came to her, covered her tenderly, dressed her in her angel outfit, which she then saw was this beautiful white robe. He sat her on his lap, rocked her back and forth, held her. He told her how he hurt for her, how hard he, the king of glory, had fought for her. And then he said this, you are always and will always be my little angel. She told me this, I thought, I thought for a minute, and I said, hey, he is holding you. And he is telling you who you truly are. As she began to weep in gratitude, she heard him say this, your pictures are my pictures. After a time, she looked at me and she said, Peter, how do you think it makes him feel when we're ashamed of those pictures? I said, well, I guess that means we're ashamed of him, the Savior. You know, Jesus didn't just redeem one moment of your life, that moment that you prayed the little prayer at junior high camp. He redeemed all your life, past, present, future, such that your story actually is his story. He filled it with himself when he offered his life on the tree. It's how he creates you in his own image. He fills all of you with himself. You are his body. So the revelation you receive will come to you as reality rather than knowledge, writes the French mystic Jean Guion. 
That means the revelation will come to you through your own particular life as you offer it up and Jesus fills it with his meaning. This is the way it was in the life of Paul, she continues. He did not ponder the sufferings of Christ. He did not consider the marks of suffering on the Lord's body. Instead, Paul bore in his own body the experiences of his Lord. He even said, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus, the wounds. And I hope you see that those wounds can even be wounds in your past. With forgiveness, God transforms the past. Your wounds become his scars. Your sins are the stage on which he reveals the glory of his grace. With faith, he transforms the past. With hope, he transforms the future. With love, he sets us free to live right now. Romans 8.28, remember this, Paul writes, we know that in all things, in all things God works together for good with those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we say, yeah, but, 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 but maybe not everyone is called according to his purpose. Paul continues, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors. The Greek word there is hypernikao. It means super conquer. conquer. Hyper conquer. We're like hyper conquerors through him who loved us. But we wonder, are there some that Christ does not love? And could be, we be, could my choice be the thing that separates him, me from him forever without end? Uh, could it be my choice? Maybe I've already chosen. In John 5 verse 4, John writes this. This is the conquest that has conquered, Nikao, the cosmos, our faith. Who is the one conquering the cosmos but the one trusting that Jesus is the Son of God? And so we think, see, you have to have faith. You have to have faith. And you do. We do. We do. We do. We do. But is it our faith that creates Jesus? You know, Jesus means God is salvation. And sometimes people think, well, God is not just salvation. God is also the tormentor. I mean, is it, is it our faith that creates God as salvation? Is our faith uh, that creates Jesus? Or is it Jesus that creates our faith? I wasn't a very good lifeguard. But imagine if I only saved kids who first professed their faith in me. And yet, by saving kids that didn't have faith in me, I might create some faith in me in them. Actually, kids that had no faith in me probably wouldn't even get into the pool or dare to be bounced by me on the diving board. They wouldn't even try. Wouldn't even try. And if you have no faith in love, you won't even try. In fact, you're already dead. A slave to sin, trapped by hell. And you need someone to push you into the pool so you can get saved and grow some faith. I had a favorite kid that summer at the Green Oaks pool. 
His name was Mikey. I think he, he was about five, and I saved him a lot. Tried to teach him to swim, but he always sank like a rock. I mean, I think by the end of the summer, we made a little progress. Deep end or shallow end, it didn't matter, because he was that short. I give him these talks. Mikey, you could drown. And he'd look at me with these big eyes and, and I remember he'd say this. He'd say, Peter, does that mean I can't swim anymore? Routinely, he'd get this wild look in his eye and he'd just run into the pool laughing. As he was drowning, he'd be laughing. When I pull him out of the pool, he'd be laughing. When I gave him the talk, he'd say, I'm sorry, but he'd be smiling. And he'd look at me with these big, huge eyes as if to say, Peter, why should I be worried? Why should I be afraid? Every time I start to drown, you save me. That's faith. Faith in the wrong Savior, <laughs> but faith. And it melted my 18-year-old heart. My point is that Jesus is a better Savior than me. And what he wants is faith. But it's not our faith that creates our Savior. It's our Savior that creates our faith. In fact, that's what he's doing right now in space and time. The giant burrito. Then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. Now let me just stop and say, there is no place else. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's called faith. And it manifests as the great dance of love that is life. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So most mornings I drink my coffee. I watch the morning eye opener. I wonder what it all means. And I find myself tempted to quit. And then usually I remember to look to the throne. Shut off the TV and I look to Jesus. Lately I've been picturing myself sitting on this beach next to Jesus. And he's worried. He's not worried. I mean, I'm worried. He's not worried. He's, he's not afraid. He's not stressed. When I think of things that stress me out, I don't, I don't say much. Sometimes I say a little. I, I don't say much, but we, we take those things. We put them in a little boat, and we just push them out to the sea. You know, he controls the sea, even though sometimes it looks like chaos. I, I, I don't need to understand. I just need to know that I am known by him. And then I usually place my head on his chest for a time. And then I get up 
and I live. So let's look to the throne. On that night, which was the beginning of that day, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. I suspect that right now, he's not sitting. He's standing. Kind of like I stood on the diving board at the Green Oaks Community Pool. And he's locking his eyes on you. And this is what he was saying. This is what he's saying. That was awesome! Yeah! Way to go! Oh, oh, oh! I know, I know it stings. I, I know it stings. But don't stop! Don't stop! Don't stop loving! Don't stop living! Don't quit! We can do this. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my feet. I believe in you. I am the belief that is rising within you. So come to my table. Feast on me. And then let's conquer the world. Let's love and never stop even if they nail us to a tree. Amen. God, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the apocalypse that you are. That it was your flesh that was ripped like the curtain in the temple revealing the heart of God and what everything means, and it means love. And you are the definition of love. Lord God, we thank you that you are good. We cast our crowns before you with the knowledge that I am not salvation. You are salvation. You are Jesus, Jesus and, and you're holy. And so, Lord, may our worship continue with every breath we take, every move we make. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, after all of that, listen to this. We read this right before Christmas. This, this is what Jesus, Jesus says regarding, remember Laodicea, the seventh church, the lukewarm church? He says this at the end. To the one who conquers, remember we were talking about the throne, how amazing this is. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then Paul writes this, we are hyper-nikao. 
We are hyper-conquerors through him who loved us. So may you believe the gospel and get back up on the diving board. <laughs> Don't stop. Don't quit. Yeah, this world is full of chaos and pain, but you are full of Jesus. In his name, believe and live. Amen.